It feels lonely to be a CEO. Let me tell you something. You are not alone in this journey. To make it easier and more impactful, you only need the correct tools, expert guides, and a community of business leaders like you. Welcome to the Impact X podcast, the space for business leaders who want to create more impact in their business while reducing personal and professional drama. Hi, I'm Daniel Marcos, CEO of the Growth Institute, an entrepreneur for more than 20 years and CEO coach for more than 12. Through my journey, I have met and learned from great CEOs and business leaders, and I would invite them here to get to know them and learn from the best. Ready? Let's impact X your company and life. Hello, good morning, good afternoon, or good night, depending on what part of the world you're visiting us. Hi, my name is Daniel Marcos, host of the pod, uh, podcast Learning Up, and I'm here with Jim Krause. Uh, he is the president of the Buyer Persona Institute, and this is a division of KSR. Um, Jim has spent over three decades managing high-performance market research teams and really understanding uh, the client. So as companies, we could serve our clients uh, much, much better. And he's a champion of the voice of the buyer, particularly if it relates on helping clients improve their ROI uh, in their market. As companies, how do we really understand our client? How do we really make an offer? And what's really important to our client so they could really serve the client and the client will be happy to buy from us. Uh, so Jim, hey, welcome. How are you? I'm doing great. So glad to be here, Danielle. Thank you, Jim. Thanks for the invitation. So Jim, uh, just give us like a little bit of background of yourself in a minute. Uh, how do you became to be the president of uh, the Buyer Persona Institute and why so important the Buyer Persona? Yeah. So um, as you had mentioned, I've been doing, I've been in the market research industry and the marketing industry for about 30 years in various roles, uh, research leadership roles. And Adele Rivella, who is the founder of Buyer Persona Institute, um, was looking to uh, move on um, and retire last year. And her and I have known each other for years, um, just working on similar studies, working with uh, clients that overlapped. Um, so one thing led to another. We started talking and it, it turned out to be just a really good fit with uh, the organization that I'm with. KSNR is the broader organization as a market research firm. Ended up being just a great fit for us because our our passion is really understanding the voice of the customer in all different forms, and one of those forms is understanding the voice of the buyer. So it was really a great fit. Uh, I've been a fan of uh, the methodology that Adele had developed, and one of the things we're really looking forward to is continuing on with that, um, as well as uh, uh, offering even more enhanced services. But they all have to do with understanding the buyer and really helping marketing and sales uh, improve performance in, in whatever organization that you sit. So, so let's start by understanding what is a buyer persona and why it's so essential for a marketing or sales success? Yeah, you know, that's a great place to start. And it sounds like a pretty obvious, basic question, but um, in, in a lot of ways, it's not. So, I mean, buyer persona is a word that's been used or verbiage that's been used for over a decade now. Um, you could even say it was a mantra in organizations to develop buyer personas. Um, but a lot of the, the from a uh, perspective, of a lot of people think of buyer personas as profiling individuals or roles or people involved in decision-making. Um, so as an example, if you're somebody that provides software, you might say, well, you know, we need to do a buyer persona for IT executives that we sell software to, and you might have descriptive characteristics of that role, that fictional role or avatar, right? Whether it's profiling their typical education, um, you know, information sources that they use, uh, priorities that they have, et cetera. 
and and those are okay. They have a they have certain value to them. But buyer personas, the way we define them at Buyer Persona Institute, is a little bit different. So we try to think about um, really understanding the, the buying decision that you're trying to influence. So let me just step back for a minute and 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 tell, indicate why that's important, right? So if you're a marketing and sales professional in an organization, at the end of the day, what you're really trying to influence is buying decisions, right? You're trying to help customers get educated. Uh, and help them feel good that if they go with your particular company or solution, they can have full confidence that they're going to achieve the des- desired result they want. At the end of the day, that's what they want, right? They're making an investment. They want to have confidence that I'm going to get the outcomes that I expect and need. And there's certain trepidations with that. You know, buyers are concerned about that. A lot of times, when they're, particularly for higher consideration buying decisions, this may be so, uh, something they're buying that they haven't bought ever or not very frequently, and they have all kinds of questions and are skittish about making sure they're making good choices. So what a buyer persona is in that context is understanding all the mindset and the behavior of buyers as they go through uh, the buying decision uh, for a buying decision you're trying to influence. So you're trying to give really specific insights about what are their attitudes, what are their concerns, what are their fears, what are their desired outcomes, so that when they're uh, when you're developing marketing and sales strategies, they are completely aligned to what buyers really want and need to feel secure. So, just to paraphrase all of this, a buyer persona is not just a profile of an individual or role. A buyer persona is deep insights around a specific buying decision that you're trying to influence, and that's a a huge a huge difference and fundamental in having impactful buyer personas. What are the typical misconceptions or mistakes people doing where when they're building supposedly their buyer persona? You know, I would say that's that's the first one, right? Is that they're building your buyer personas, uh, just profiling roles rather than yeah. building insights about the buying decision. That's the first one. Um, another one is I wouldn't even call it a mistake. I would say more a missed opportunity, right? Because anytime you do any kind of exercise understanding your buyers, it's never a mistake. But I would say missed opportunities would be when you're trying to understand the buying decision, one thing that you really should try to do is talk to recent buyers to understand the buying decision. And the reason for that is that the recent buyers aren't your current customers, by the way. These are folks that have made the same buying decision you're trying to influence. So these are buyers that you would want or would have wanted in your sales pipeline. Uh, The way we think about them is um, those that have recently made a purchase that you're uh, made a buying decision you're trying to influence in the last 12 months. So what you want to do is you want to go talk to them. So one of the things that, you know, if I had a, you know, a mission is that a lot of marketers are trying to develop marketing strategies, messaging, positioning. They're trying to arm the sales force with tools to help them hit their numbers, but they're doing so without the benefit of talking to these, the people they're actually trying to influence. So it, it's trying to do your job with one hand tied behind your back. I mean, if you're a sales professional, you get to talk to customers regularly and prospects. You get to hear firsthand how they think, how they feel, what their concerns are. Marketing professionals don't have that luxury. So one of the huge opportunities for marketers is go talk to recent buyers. Um, and the other thing I will say about that is a lot of times marketers we've found have certain anxieties about talking to recent buyers. I can assure you that uh, recent buyers love talking about the recent buying decisions they've made, right? It's This was a huge decision for them. Um, and it's not something they're pontificating about, right? They can tell you, this is exactly how we felt. These are exactly all the things that we did. 
Um, so that's invaluable information as far as thinking like if you're trying to influence somebody or educate them, you would want that information. So that's that's one. The second, the third thing I would mention is, and maybe we can talk a little bit more about what we think the key elements of a buyer persona is. But the third element is when you develop a buyer persona and you develop these buying insights, make sure you're using a lot of buyer quotes when you're developing these insights. Um, and what I mean by that is the voice of the buyer, because it's one thing to come back to your organization with, you know, here's 10 things we heard from buyers that are important. It's another thing to do that and actually share with them the actual words these buyers use to describe their mindset, their behaviors, because what happens is, is pretty magical. I mean, right first you get uh, organizational buy-in um, because you, uh, folks in the organization say, hey, this is from the, these are from the people we want to sell to, right? Let's listen to them. Um, second of all, it gives them, it gives you a much deeper and more nuanced understanding of buyers. And again, if you're trying to influence buyers, really understanding that second and third layer of thinking is invaluable. So I think those are three big opportunities. So now tell us what's the right way of designing a buyer persona. Yeah. So we, um, we call these, there's five key elements of a buyer persona. Um, we call them the five rings of buying insight. It's just a name. What's important is what they are and why they're important. So when you're interview, and we collect all this information by talking to recent buyers, these are in-depth interviews that we do. Um, you know, what we recommend is if you're trying to create a buyer persona, define what buying decision you're trying to influence, define what the target market is for that uh, offering, and then find those buyers. And there's different ways you can go about doing that. But when you talk to the buyers, you want to do in-depth interviews. I mean, these interviews typically are 30 to 40 minutes long. They're not surveys or we're not asking people to rate things or rank things. You're literally trying to understand their entire buyer journey from the moment they had an initial need all until they made a final decision. And you're trying to understand the entire journey as far as how they identified options, how they winnowed down their choices, um, et cetera, et cetera. So when you have those uh, interviews done, you look across all the interviews and to try to identify five key areas of insight. The first area that you really want to identify is what we call priority initiatives. And think of these as triggers. These are the reasons that a buyer starts looking for your particular solution at this moment in time, right? Because they may have had a certain challenge, for example, for a while, but what was it that got them to say, hey, we really need to do something now? That's the first one. The second area of buying insight that's critical, we call success factors. And what these are are insights into all the outcomes that buyers want from their investment, right? So they're making this investment. It's an important investment. What are the expected outcomes? In their words, not your words, what are, in their words, what are they trying to achieve? The third one we call uh, perceived barriers. And this is uh, one of my personal favorites because it's something that often gets overlooked. And it's what are all the concerns and trepidations that buyers have either making the investment at all with anybody or making it with a certain provider, right? You want to know what all those fears and concerns are so that you can proactively address them. I mean, put yourself in the buyer's shoes. If you have certain fears and concerns and there's a provider that really does a great job of helping you alleviate those concerns and feeling confident, you know, that's a differentiator um, for most organizations. So that's the third one. The fourth one is decision criteria. And the way we capture decision criteria in the interviews is, we literally identify all the questions that buyers ask to winnow down their choices and come to a consensus about what is what is going to be their choice. So again, we're not asking for ratings and rankings or anything like that. We're literally identifying what are all the questions that you can expect 
as a provider to get from these buyers. And then the fifth and final one is buyer's journey. And these are, what are the steps in their buying journey for this specific purchase? What do the steps look like? Who are the influence? What are their roles? Uh, what are the information sources they use and they trust, whether internal or external? And when you have these five areas of insight and you come up with insights in each of these categories, along with the buyer quotes, you've essentially taken all the guesswork out of your marketing and sales. You know exactly what buyers want, right? There's no more doing messaging workshops where you're trying to guess about, well, what does the CIO want for, you know, what is really going to impact them around this buying decision? All the guesswork is gone, right? Now you can devote all your creative energies and all the um, uh, the great strategies and tactics you're able to deploy with this knowledge base. Um, so that, that's what a buyer persona is. And when you were talking about the getting the voice of the customer, there's a tool that I really like called the empathy map because you have to kind of understand what they're thinking and what they're feeling. Do you use something like that or what do you use to really understand the voice of the customer? Yeah, I don't I wouldn't say we use an empathy map specifically, but in it, it's this very similar type thing. So empathy is one of one of our favorite words, quite honestly, and favorite concepts because the interviews that we do are very, I, I call them unstructured, structured interviews, because there's only one, one uh, scripted question we use. And it's literally the first question we ask in an interview. And we say, take me back to the day when you first decided that you needed X and what X would be whatever solution that you're focused on. And tell me what happened. And we literally ask questions and probe to understand everything that happened to them. So if, for example, they say, "Yeah, one of the things we need really need we really needed to realize was um, a reduction in our manual processes." Right? Well, tell me a little bit more about that. Why was that? Why was that important to you? And then they'll you know give us some more information. We'll ask more probing questions so that we get to that second and third order meaning. And the reason we do that is for empathy because we're really trying to understand at the end of the day what are the things that are really critical, right? That are, you know, in the gut kind of things that they're going to be basing these decisions on. So yeah, it's it's really an exercise overall in, in, in empathy. Love it. All right. Um, now imagine you got your, your, your buyer persona, you understand who you're trying to buy, sell the, their, their decision-making and all that. How can you use that for marketing? Because now that's for the marketing team to do better marketing. How do you use it to do content and social media and the rest? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the great thing about these buyer personas is they really will inform, I don't want to say every area of marketing sales, but there's so many areas that they inform and that, you know, our clients, we see them use or those that um, are, you know, use the approach that that we talk a lot about. Um, and, you know, and not in any particular order, you know, number one is it gives you a lot of insights about segmentation and targeting as far as who is it that you really need to influence um, you know, whether it's the person or uh, individuals or roles that are involved in actually coming up with the a recommendation or, the, you know, the economic decision maker in an organization, right? Really understanding who those, those folks are, those roles. Yeah. Um, another area that it helps is positioning. We've seen a lot of people work with it on their overall positioning because it helps you, you get a lot of competitive insights in these interviews, right? You get perceptions about your own offering and company, and you also understand about other companies because, they talk freely about them. So you better understand like where is that white space and where is there an opportunity for you to differentiate? And as importantly, where are there opportunities to really clearly define, you know, how you're different in a positive way. 
Um, messaging is a is you know almost a no brainer, right? Um, we a lot, a lot of organizations will do messaging workshops based on these buyer personas. Um, sometimes we call them activation workshops, but literally a great exercise to do is map all these buying insights you identify in your persona, map these to your actual capabilities. And the intersection between those two things is a great place to really ground your messaging because now you know the buyers want it. And two, if you do the mapping, you can identify the places you can really deliver. So your messaging is, you know, you can have full confidence in it and you arm your sales force with something they know they can talk credibly about. So we see a lot of work being done there. Uh, thought leadership content is another area because the great thing about it is when you get to things like perceived barriers, success factors, decision criteria, you've got all these different areas that you can go much deeper on and really um, showcase your your authority, your brand authority around this topic. You can write content that lets folks think more optimistically about some big issues they may be wrestling with, and you can help show them a you know a positive path forward. So that's another place that we see a, a lot of work. Those are probably the most common, but we've also seen. Um, a lot of times they'll use them at, you know, at events, they may change their taglines at events, or um, uh, we've even seen uh, impacts on logo design even. Um, but the ones I mentioned are the primary ones. Great. Uh, let me change a little bit the conversation to learning and development. And, and you've been leading teams for many, many years. Um, and, and part of growing your team is really growing their capabilities and, and their mm -hmm. tools. Like how do you work with learning and development um, as a leader? How do you see learning and development? What are the things that you do uh, to do it right or that you learn that worked? Uh, a couple of things. That's a great question. Um, a couple of things that we try to do, right? And it's always a, a work in progress, right? I mean, uh, learning and development, coaching, what have you, are skills you constantly have to practice and stay up on. And I think from a coaching standpoint, which is something that I've always taken pretty seriously and our organization does is you know, try not to micromanage people and, and always telling them exactly how to do things. And here's all the steps, um, because essentially what you're doing is you're you're still, first of all, you're still doing the work. You're not building organizational capacity by doing that. And second of all, you know, you want to build confidence in people. You want people like to figure things out, right? They like to be, um, they like to be coached, meaning that, you know, if I'm talking to somebody about a particular skill they're working on, you know, oftentimes I'll ask them about what is their point of view? You know, what do they what do they think should be the way they should approach this? Or if they've tried something, I'd ask, well, where do you think you did well? And, and where do you think there's room for improvement? And I would say 95% of the time they already know. It's not, it's not me having to tell them. They just kind of understand. And those dialogues are so much more productive because now it's rather than me telling them certain things, quote unquote, telling we're having a discussion, we're having a dialogue, right? And it's build, it's building this trust between us. It's building this quiet confidence in them that they can do it. Um, so that's that's one big area. I'd say another major thing that we try to do is, I wouldn't say we throw people in the deep end necessarily, but you know we like to have, give people a, a real chance, right? The only way you learn, you know, particularly with, you know, we work with a lot of clients. Um, I love having folks on our team work with clients directly, right? Because that's where you really start to understand the nuance of putting yourself using that word empathy you said below, really understanding, you know, what are they, what are they trying to achieve and how can we help them achieve the goals that they want, right? That's how I want everybody thinking in our organization. And there's no way really way to tell somebody that, right? You really need to give them a chance so they can feel it. Right. And they can feel the impact of, hey, I did this and this was really 
this really hit the mark with our clients. I mean, that's a great feeling. You're going to learn from that way more than me telling you what to do. So those are two overarching things I would say that are always top of mind in, in how we try to grow organizational capacity. So let me talk about the coaching part because a lot of leaders I've talked to, they they lead by telling people instead of mm -hmm. leading them through coaching. How do you do the coaching uh, as a leader that you coach your team? Yeah, it's it's very carefully. It's a skill that I'm, you know, quite candidly still working on. Um, you know, when you've been doing something for a long time, you build up a certain competence in it. And when things are flying and people are busy and everybody's, you know, got a high expectation for quality, it's very easy just to tell somebody what to do. So what I try to do is carve out time with team members and leave it open so that we can have a discussion, right? And it's kind of like sacred time. I think the biggest advice I would have, and, and it, it's worked for me, is carving out that time and not, you know, rescheduling meetings, canceling that time, short-circuiting it because you know you have another pressure. You really have to be disciplined about it because anytime you take away from that, you know, it may pay off, you know, in the short term, but in the long term, you'll wake up one day and you'll have a you'll have a team that isn't nearly um, as capable as they should be, um, right? Because you haven't put in that time. So that that's the biggest thing. And it, it's a work in progress. It's 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 not an easy thing to do. It takes um a lot of discipline and, and patience, especially when when things are you know high pressure and things are in the the pace of business these days. So you you touch about the time and telling people it's very, very fast. Having a dialogue and a conversation, it's way longer. So how do you choose your battles? What uh, what time you just tell people what to do and what time you just really spend the time and doing the coaching and a dialogue? So, I mean, if there's something where that's it's really urgent for a client, it needs attention right away, in particular with a client, then you know that's a time to uh, put a pin in it, right? Like I'll have a little notepad a lot of times we'll all write things down, you know, where I know there's an not an opportunity to have a discussion. And a lot of times what I'll do is um, I'll do, I'll even send like an instant message to them and say, Hey, remind me the next time we talk, let's, let's talk about X, Y, Z. Um, and just from the standpoint that when they do bring something up that we had to hurry through and, and I do make time for it to have that discussion that creates uh, a great behavior on their part and, and my part, right. It holds me accountable Um, it makes them feel good that, hey, we're really going to talk about this and Jim really cares about, you know, cares. So that's one of the things I do. And if there is ever opportunities to do coaching on the fly, um, then I'll do that as well, right? There's not, nothing like time in the moment, but you kind of have to have a feel for it. It really depends. I mean, sometimes I think people are more receptive to coaching than other times, depending on what's going on in their work life or even their personal life, right? You know, people can receive the same message very different way depending on when you approach them. So that's just a feel, right? You know. And, and to close this, uh, the podcast, um, what's your favorite way of learning and, 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 and how do you do learning in the company? Do you have guys have your own company university? How do you choose the right learning for your team? Yeah. So um, in the market research industry, we're, pretty fast paced, right? So, um, you know, not just speaking for BioPersona Institute, but also KSNR, broadly speaking, is we're very project-oriented, right? We're doing specific studies for different clients. Uh, so things are moving pretty fast. So we we make a lot, we try to make a lot of video type courses available. We'll, we'll use all different types of resources to do that. 
um, self-paced thing, like just an example, LinkedIn learning we use, that's just one example. And uh, we'll have folks on our HR team that will identify things that we think are particularly apropos for the overall organization and things that we think are particularly appropriate for certain levels in the organization, right? Where there's, you know, they, we, we want to upskill them in a certain place. Uh, and folks really seem to like that. And maybe it's something to do with with research, the nature of researchers, but they tend to be a, be a little bit insular, right? And they, they're they really smart people. The folks we have here are really smart people and they like to learn. And that seems to work pretty well for us. Um, but we also do, we do in-person or virtual seminars when we can, but I think the self-paced videos have worked pretty well for us over the last couple of years, even before COVID. All right. Um, Jim, thank you very much. Really, really appreciate uh, your thoughts, uh, your experience, your time. Uh, and I've been a huge fan of BioPersona. We use it a lot. And, and I see a lot of teams that they don't understand it, that it's that important, or they don't understand how to do it. And they usually make a lot of marketing mistakes on the back. So thank you for that. I thought it was a, a very clear and sincere. Thank you very much, Jim. Thanks, Daniel. Thank you for joining us for one more episode of Impact X Podcast. Don't forget to follow me in YouTube and Instagram. I'm constantly sharing content and tools for you to become the best version of yourself. I'm Daniel Marcos. See you soon. See you soon. See you soon.